You know, if it's your first time here, first time visiting us, we're in week three of, of a series focusing on the real Jesus. It's a book by Jonathan Stocksdale. Uh, man, it's just super simple, straight to the point. It just answers the question, who is Jesus really? Who do you say Jesus is? Uh, last week, we talked about that Jesus had a secret, you know, a secret to his ministry. And yeah, he was all God and he was all man, but he had a secret to the effectiveness in his ministry. And we know that that secret was what? The Holy Spirit, somebody saved you from me preaching it all over again. The Holy Spirit was the key that really unlocked everything he did in his ministry from the signs to the wonders to, you know, it says that God gave to Jesus the Holy Spirit without measure. So how much of the Holy Spirit? As much as he needed. You know, it's, it's like that, that, just that drink just being poured out, you know, overflowing. It just kept on it. It, it was like a glass that never went empty. So the Holy Spirit was made available to Jesus and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message or you missed it, you can always go to our Facebook page and click on the videos and you can actually watch the worship and the message and all of the transitions or you can go to our podcast um, and that gives us where if you just want to listen to just the message, okay? I know some messages are packed full with all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, man, I can't take notes fast enough. So going back, listening to the podcast gives you a chance to kind of download it, think about it. Uh, my mother-in-law last week, she uh, it was really funny, she says, you misquoted a scripture. I said, really? I said, I said, where is it? And I said, well, let me look it up. Okay, here's the verse. She, she pulls it, and I was like, man, maybe I messed something up. My mother-in-law is busting me up. So she looks at it, she goes, oh, never mind. I look at the wrong verse. I was like, thank you, Jesus, because I could mess it up, you know, but um, so, so what I'm teaching, what I'm showing, the scriptures that I reference, look in your Bible. I might give you a wrong scripture just for laughs and giggles and see if you catch it. You're like, wait a minute. No, I wouldn't do that. Now, but I want you guys to always test and challenge the word. You know, we need to be people that are educated, that we are mature, that we're not just taking everything that everybody says and makes it, making it absolute truth. You agree with that? And because I am a man with flesh on, there are things that I can mess up and I can get not 100% correct, even though my goal is to always hit the nail on the head and to preach the word of God with truth and accuracy and biblical balance. Um, but I think we, ha we have to understand the word for ourselves. You know, I hope that you go back and you think about the message or you, maybe you write notes or, you know, uh, I always think about, you know, in the course of a year, what messages stood out to people? What series focuses that we focused on were the most beneficial to people? And, you know, um, last week I asked some young adults, I said, hey, what did I preach on? Like the Sunday of, like we were walking out. What did I preach on? Uh and his brother saved them, right? You know, so engage. You know, we want you to have open minds, open hearts, open, being sensitive to what the Lord wants to speak to you today, okay? So before I start, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to pray for open ears, open hearts, and a receptive spirit this morning, okay? Father, that as this word goes forth, that it would penetrate our hearts, that you'd give us ears and a mind to understand everything that is spoken. I pray against the plans of the enemy to distract, to discourage, and Lord, that this word would take root deep in our heart and this topic would continue completely revolutionize our life in how you want it to affect our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're ever in a if you ever if I remember starting a message and you can't focus, just take one of those little help me Jesus moments and get it, get it right and then engage. Because I really believe that every single week God is giving us nuggets to, to give you. You know, he's he's speaking through us throughout the week. He's giving us direction as a church. And we don't feel like, you know, we're not just playing biblical Russian roulette where we're just kind of like, okay, let's preach on this. You know, the topics, the series, the focus as we navigate, 
we try to really tap into, Lord, when is the timing and what is the specific focus of what you want us to focus on? So this morning, we're in week three of the Real Jesus series, and today we're going to look at how we treat people. Everybody excited about that? So look at the person next to you and ask them, how do you treat people? And some, some, some of you are like this, <laughs> just laughing, right? You, you don't want to talk about how you treat people. Sometimes we treat people really well. Sometimes we treat people really poorly. But how do you treat people, not on Sundays, not when the pastor's watching, maybe when they messed up your order and they took too long and they didn't refill your drink and your food was made wrong and you were real, real hungry, Right? Whatever, whatever the excuse, right? You know, how do you treat people? You know, that's one of the biggest questions, you know, that I think we have to understand. So we're going to look at the model. Well, how did Jesus treat people? What was his expectation? What was his standard? And we need to make sure that we apply the same exact principles in our own life. You know, we want to reflect Christ. And if we're to reflect Christ, we need to know how did Christ do it? What did he do? What did Jesus do? How did he actually treat people? You know, so are you kind? Are you mean? Are you rude? Are you patient? All of the above, right? You know, like, so I think sometimes there's different characteristics of how we are, how we respond, how we act. But in today's society, do you know that we could really use a good lesson on how to treat people like Jesus does and how to love people as Jesus does? I see a lot more harshness and criticism and rude meanness more so than the love and kindness of Christ. You know, I always try to, you know, I know it, my wife is a, is a, she worked at a I don't know, you call it the four-star, five-star hotel, the nice hotels, not just the cheap hotels. So they were all about the service, all about what, what made the hotel better than everything else. So they set a super high standard. So anytime that she is receiving a service and it's not done excellent, she's their number one critic. But I'm like, baby, this ain't the same caliber of a hotel. It's not a five-star. Why are you just like, because she understands what great service is. Right, But I think sometimes when we don't receive what we think we should be getting, we all of a sudden respond rudely, incorrectly, harshly. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I, and I try to tell Becky, maybe it's their first time. Maybe they're new. Or maybe sometimes like, maybe they're just not built for that. Had any of those before? A server is just like, yes, sir, I'll get your refill. The cup's not full. Yes, sir, I'm coming with your water. The cup's still not full. And you already finished. It's tip time. Your cup's still empty, and they are just missing the mark. How do we respond? You know, and I know my wife, you know, she says, I paid for that drink, or I paid for that food. It's going to be how I paid for that. Now, if it's free, you can do whatever you want to it. But I paid for a quality meal at a quality price, I expect it. So I think when we look at those things, sometimes all of a sudden we feel like we have the right to treat people how we want. We choose, we sit as judge. But let's reverse it. What, what if, you know, what if maybe the, they, they didn't, you know, it was the kitchen that didn't make it right. It was the other person that maybe, you know, all, there's so many variables. But I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I think sometimes our grace runs out and we te- treat people rudely and mean and not patient. But do you know that humans have actually struggled with how to treat people since the fall of man? This is not new. We realize that in Cain and Abel's life, what happened? They were brothers. One killed the other, murdered them gruesomely. This is, you know, they, they, they killed one another. This is in Genesis 4. Um, 
Um, Jacob and Esau, you know, they, it says they lied, they steal, they cheated each other out of, a, out of an inheritance. This is like super close to Adam and Eve. So the, 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 the human system had not been around that long. But it got messed up pretty quick. So if you look at, you know, where we are at as a society, we know that society given to its own demise and its own nature will create chaos. You know, somewhere down the road, God decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to send a rainbow, I'm going to put it in the sky, and I will never wipe out everyone from the face of the earth again. Thank God. Because I think we would get to cycles as a society where God would just backhand us and say, reset, we're all gone, up in smoke, that's it, start all over, right? You know, if, we, if God had not promised us to take care of us. But we realize that there has been this struggle among humanity. Um, Joseph and his brothers, so we're envy, they were envious of Joseph, of his gifts, of his calling, of his anointing for his life. They sold him into slavery. Man, I think you got some bad siblings, huh? I mean, you just think about it. I mean, you know, I might do it to an enemy, but I'd never do it to my brothers or sisters. I may joke about it. You know, tease my sister when she's little. If you're not nice, we're going to get rid of you. Or you know you're adopted right even when they're not. You know, just being super mean. You know, I think just, I think by our nature, that's who we are. But, you know, just the cruelness that is just woven in our fabric if we're not careful. So we have to learn how to treat people right, how to treat people like Christ did. And we got to realize that Jesus is the model. So we have to realize we are naturally jealous and envious, and we, we, ha- we hold secret grudges. We got any secret grudge holders in the house? We got any liars in the house? <laughs> well, one of the two, okay? All right, so we got to realize that, you know, we have bad thoughts towards each other, right? Most of the time, if somebody wrongs us, we're not like, oh, well, God bless them. That's my what we say with our mouth, but our heart and our mind is far from that. Like, I hope you fall in a hole and break your ankle. Like, you know, it's just this ugly, vicious cycle of humanity. So we got to realize that Jesus hit the mark, that he taught us how to love each other, how to treat people well in every situation, okay? So we also have to realize that if you tell someone you hate them, it is the equivalent of murdering them in your heart. That was the standard that God set through his word. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, it was very legalistic, but it said you had to actually kill somebody to to perform murder. In the New Testament, the standard under grace was actually increased. And, we, and, and he says, now, that, that was the old standard, but the standard now is if you even hate your brother or sister, it's like murdering them. He says, do not hate them. Said, you know, to me, I was like, man, I almost, you know, I hate the law. I don't like the legalistic of the law, but sometimes grace is hard too. I'd rather be under the law because you're going to have to really frustrate me for me to murder you. But to just hate you in my heart, that could be achievable, right? You know, like, I think we dabble in that, you know. So, But with the grace of God that increases in our life, we can learn by the grace of God to treat people well. We don't have to say we're under a curse. We're, you know, it's just human nature. You know, we have to realize as Christians we are born again by a new spirit with new nature and new feelings, new emotions. We should look completely different to how we used to. If you still look a whole lot like the world... You need to ask Jesus to start working in your heart. I hope that there is a sub- substantial change in your life. You know, from maybe there was that moment where you said, you know, this was the time in my life when I chose to really follow Jesus. You know, um, I remember a long time ago, some of you may have heard this, but, you know, when my wife got really mad at me one time and was doing stupid stuff, and she's like, are you even saved? Like, that's like the bottom 
That's like the biggest cut. Like, like, am I really? What do you mean? Are you really saved? You know, it was what my, but it's just a, when you don't look anything like Jesus, but yet you profess Christ, we got to evaluate what's wrong there. We can't say, oh, I love Jesus and look like the world. It says we are to look nothing like the world. We're supposed to walk away. You know, to repent, let me, let me, let me hash on this just a minute means to actually change the way we think about a specific habit or sin and actually turn and walk the complete opposite direction. That doesn't mean like, oh, here's the sin. Well, Lord, forgive me. Still juggling the sin. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Pretty good at this juggling stuff. No, change your mind about that sin. Get rid of it. Turn the other way and walk completely away from it. If you stay close to the fire, you will always keep getting burned. You got to walk away from it. You got to separate yourself from it. Maybe you got to remove it far from your camp, far from your home, so that it doesn't even entice you. That's a free nugget for somebody this morning. You play with the fire, you will get burned every single time. All right? So we got to realize that Jesus will completely change how we treat people. So Jesus modeled loving and treating people. Well, which is really contrary to the world system. So Christianity is made up uh, of equally important focuses on how we relate first and foremost to God. And then secondly, how we relate to people. The, the, the greatest commandment says, you know, how do we fulfill all of the law? How do we fulfill everything that Jesus wrote in here? We love God and we love people. It's easy. Love God and we love people. So we realize that relationships re- really suffer because we're broken people. You know, that's a real reality. And, you don't have, and, and we don't know how to treat people. We got to realize that. We need to learn how to treat people right. That's something that has to be learned. You don't just, you're not just born knowing how to do that. You have to learn how to do that. Do you realize statistically 55% of marriages end in divorce? It's crazy, right? Because what that means is if you get married, you're, there's a more likely chance that you will get a divorce than stay together. The odds are against you, right? So if, if, all, if, if 50% or more marriages fail, don't be surprised when relationships and friendships fail. If the statistics of marriage, two people that are committing, that actually initially right, like each other, were in agreement to marry each other that had common interest and you know, chose to be together, if that falls apart, just your fringe friends or your friends that you're not really, you're going to have damaged relationships sometimes. You're going to have fallouts. You're going to have fights. You're going to have bickering. You're going to have all of these ha- things happen. But let me tell you something. Don't keep recreating the, the chaos. Some of you get frustrated and you're like, there ain't no good people in the world. You know, and every person you have a relationship, they're the problem. Well, all of those people were good people, but you were the consistent variable in those relationships every single time. And I've been alive long enough to know that there are really some great people out there. Now, there's some rough people out there, too, that are just really hard to love. But if every single relationship in your life is not bringing you health and wholeness and satisfaction, you need to look at yourself because maybe you are bringing the damaged goods into the picture. Even in a marriage, if you are damaged, if you're wounded, you will never be able to meet the needs of your spouse unless you receive that healing. You cannot do it. And only by the grace of God restoring what is broken by Jesus can we realign ourselves to what God wanted. Because we are a broken world. We are a broken people in need of a Savior. So we struggle to keep healthy relationships, even with our children sometimes. It's awkward. Maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your your parents, so... 
with your kids, that relationship's a little awkward. You don't know how to do it. You know, maybe your dad was always a standoff person, so you think it's better to be a standoff person. Right? You know, I think that, that a lot of these times, these, these ways, these things that we experience affect our relationships. Some people really struggle with people. You know, as a pastor, I like to say that I'm, you know, I pray to God I always am a people person. You know, I think that there's sometimes that I think you just have to get away and you get, sometimes we'll get frustrated. And, you know, I have heard horror stories of pastors not just shepherding the sheep but beating the sheep to get frustrated. You know, rather than re- responding in grace, it's just like, <laughs> instead of just like, hey, come here. It's like, okay, yeah, get over there and just a swift kick. You know, I don't want my heart to ever get so hard towards people because as a pastor, I'm in the people business. Whether I like it or not, you know, and there are seasons that it's great. There are seasons that it's rough. You know, I look around this room. There's been a lot of you. We've been through a lot of stuff in these last three years. A lot of you have survived the obstacles and the struggles and the hardships and the setbacks and the plan of the enemy to destroy your life. But you've made it. You're here today. The faithfulness of the Lord in every season of our life. But we don't want to allow our past relationships of brokenness or our brokenness just coming in as a human into the world to, to hold us back from what God really wants us to have. So when Jesus came to earth, he really painted the picture of what real relationships should look like. God desired relationship with us and he wants our relationship with others to thrive and not die. God is a relational God. He's not a God that just said, like, he's going to roll with his scepter and just sit up there and like, hey, you go do this for me. No, he wants to co-labor. He is interested in what we're doing. You know, it's like yesterday I was at my, at my son's basketball game, and, you know, before the game started, we were watching the other teams. I didn't care about the other teams. You know why? My son wasn't playing. But if, as a son and daughter, when you are on the court and when you are playing, Daddy God, you, he has your attention. He's watching, you know, and I'm up there on the very, very top, and I'm like, pass the ball, spread out, get on defense. I'm sitting there, he can't hear me, but I'm engaged in what he's doing or not doing, and I'm paying attention because my son's in the game. That's how Father God is with us. He is a relational God that is paying attention, and he cares about what we do. His eyes are fixed on us, and he finds pleasure in what we do. Now, that game, what was it? The score was like... 12 to 11, and my son's team lost. He kept his composure till he got to the truck. They won every game, and they lost the championship game. And Becky asked him, how do you feel? <laughs> he lost it, man. He was just so heartbroken. But, but I know that in his life, if he will experience some failure and not all success, he will be a better man. Because those who always succeed and never fail or are never challenged don't, won't ever get a good gauge for what real life is like. I can tell you anybody in this room who has some type of success progression has had to work for it. Didn't come easy. Now, there are some that are genuinely smarter than me. And it comes easily to you. But even in that, you have to work, right? There's no free handouts. But, you know, in this, in this thing, like, Father God is watching us. He's, paying, he's rooting for us. He wants us to succeed. But he is a relational God. So God is a relational God. Do you realize that heaven is a place of complete harmony? Right? You know, there's not discord. There's not, there's not disunity. You know, there's all of these things. You know, but God, he wanted us to be, he wanted to be close to us. So he sent Jesus to redeem our relationship with him. You know, he wants 
us to be a part of his family. You know, so this family concept, even that we model here on earth, you know, one man with one woman uh, under the, the, the constitution of marriage, having children, being blessed, and then those children getting married, doing it all right, and then those children having children. It is just a blessing and a perfect picture of what God wanted. Now, we know sometimes we mess that up. Amen? We don't get it all right, and we kind of break the image and the pattern of what God wanted. But we have to understand, God was a relational God. He wanted relationships restored, not relationships broken. So he wanted, us to be around, he wanted to be around us forever, so he made a plan to send his son. God didn't need us, but he wanted us. You have to know that today. Do you realize that God has really set up the Christian lifestyle with, a relationship, with relationships in mind? He never said, hey, be a part of a family of God, but go over here and be this Lone Ranger thing. That was never the plan of what the kingdom of God and what the family of God was all about. So Jesus also modeled how to treat people in a broken, fallen world. So we have to realize that his cross had a horizontal limb and it also had a vertical beam, right? It, it stretched this way, but it also stretched this way. You know, he was people-focused, but he was also kingdomly-focused. It wasn't just, you know, you know, you have people that are so kingdomly-focused that they're worldly no good. Somebody could show up with a significant need and you could meet it. And it's just maybe it's a practical need. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they need, it's freezing outside. They got a coat. You know, you got, how many of you have too many coats all the time? I'm a coat guy. Like, I mean, it's like I could give him one, you know, but this is what it would be the equivalent of somebody comes to my door, blah, blah, blah. Man, I'm freezing out here. Well, you know what, brother? I'm sorry. You know, hey, let me pray for you. I close the door and I just pray. I can be so kingdomly focused and say, Lord, I pray that you would meet that brother's need, that you would clothe him with a gift. And it's like, idiot. I can be so king, and, and I mean, and I just, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm kingdomly focused, but I'm also earthly focused. Jesus was that way. He was focused on people just as much as he was focused on heaven. Do you realize that the Ten Commandments, half are focused on how to treat God and half of them are how to treat people? Hmm, go back and read them. Look at that. You know, the, the, the passage that summarizes everything is love the Lord your God with all your heart. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You realize that Jesus, at the time of his death, many loved him, but many hated him. The crazy thing with that, he did nothing wrong, you know, I, and, but they were looking for ways to accuse him. <clears throat> he loved people so dearly. That, you know, many people actually laid down their lives for Jesus. We see this, you know, in the lives of the disciples. But people truly believed in who Jesus was. This wasn't just hearsay or hoopla. It was, they, they believed. If they really did not believe that Jesus, who was he said he was, at the moment it's like, hey, reject Jesus or die. I'd have been like, huh, I was just playing. Right? At that moment of where it was going to cost me my life, they would have yielded. But yet they yielded unto death for the cause of Christ. They were 100% convinced in who Jesus was. And we know that that first week of this series, we asked the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And when we realize that truly he is the son of the living God. So we're going to look real quick this morning at three revolutionary principles on how to treat people. Number one, love your neighbor. So, so there's so much hurt and pain in the world. It, you know, it's easy to become calloused 
But you know, as Christians, we can't stay there. We can't blame our callousness or our hardness or our previous experience and, and live in that forever. You know, God wants to really break that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But in the world system, you know, the, I don't watch the news that much. Every time I do, I don't really miss anything. I'm not saying don't watch the news or whatever, but when I look at it, it's like this murder here and all of these things. And I mean, I'm hearing words I don't want my kids to hear because they're going to like, what does that word mean, Dad? Why don't you know that, you know, or paying attention to that, you know, but, you know, I mean, there's a few little political things or sometimes let's talk, talk about the COVID virus or this, I mean, maybe some things that are interesting to me. But most of the time when I hear those things, it is just a hard I mean, it's revealing the sinfulness of the world. It, it's making me frustrated. It, it's, it's, it's causing me to, I guess at times, lose hope in people. I'm not talking about the Christians. But I'm talking about the, the people in leadership positions just making horrific decisions. But they have it right here in their hands. They can, they can sway the tide of whatever they, the, the authority they have been given. And it's just like, man, like, I mean, I'm... I don't feel like I'm overly sophisticated, but that seems like an idiot idea. But it, it causes me to get calloused and frustrated and irritated, and it causes me to go back and stay in that broken system. But it allows my heart to be calloused. But if my heart is calloused, I can't love my neighbor. I have to allow my heart to be sensitive and soft and restored. So we have to realize, you know what Jesus was? Jesus was a softy. His whole ministry was about others. He always paid attention. So the story of the Good Samaritan, most of you probably have heard it, but it's going to be in Luke 10, 30 through 35. So the story is a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. So when we look at this story, this is a really gruesome scene. It says that he, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went away, and leaving him half dead. Now, most of us, you know, when we see that, I mean, I guess we would have one of two responses. We would even, you know, like Jimmy Donaldson, you either help or you don't. And hopefully in that moment, you help. So in this story, they, they begin to talk about a, a specific group of people. So first and foremost, they say a priest happened to be going down the same road. So it's not that he was on the other road, that he didn't see him, that he was too far away. Well, I couldn't really tell what was going on, but I had to get to church. Had to get there this Sunday morning. I had to get ready for my message. But this guy over here, you know. So it says that, but look what happens. It says, when he saw the man, that's where he was busted. He saw the need. He knew the need. He placed his eyes on the individual. But it says, yet he passed by on the other side. So this, this, this story has the crosshairs on the most religious people. So first they're busting up the priest who was the pastor of the church. So, then a Levite comes along. Who, was the Le who were the Levites in the Bible? They were the worshipers in the house, the maintainers of the house. They were the priest of the house. They were like everybody we saw up here, the carriers of the presence of the Lord. The so, so they were the worship team. So the worship team, you know, they're a little bit behind the pastor. pastor got there early, which I don't get here early. These guys beat me here every Sunday. But... In this story, the pastor cruised by, then the worship team caravanning to get here for practice. They see somebody. And the same thing. It says, they saw him, and they passed by on the other side. So the, the preacher passed him by, and the worshipers passed him by. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. He saw him, and he took pity on him. He paid attention to the details. He met the needs. And it says, he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine. And, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, 
Uh, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and if there's any difference when I show back up, I'll pay the extra. So we see this, that there was above and beyond from the Samaritan. This was somebody that was, that was I guess it'd be like, not all Hispanic, but Hispanic and white, like most of us are. I'm half Hispanic, half white. I look like a white guy. My last name is Cano, if you ever wanted to know. It's not Cano, it's not Cano, it's Cano. In Espanol, right? Just in case you were wondering, right? But it was, it, was, it was somebody that had a little bit of this and a little bit of that that was looked down. It was the dog of the area. Somebody that would be insignificant. This is the one that helped. So we see this compassion. We see this heart for the hurting. And that's how Jesus' heart was. He was always paying attention. He saw the needs. He saw the, the things that needed to be met. So he, ha- he had really four things. He had the eyes of compassion, a heart of compassion, a touch of compassion, and a walk of compassion. So what does that mean, the eyes of compassion? He always paid attention to the details. He, he used his eyes. You know, I know sometimes when we see a need or we know a need's coming, we try to, let's go this way. We don't want to mess with it. We don't have the time. Maybe we, we have our, another agenda. But he was one that focused on, on the Father's business, not just his business. Seven times in the Gospels, it actually says that he saw. He saw the woman at the well and approached her. Right? He was intentional in what he did. So he had, he had, a, he had eyes of compassion. He also had a heart of compassion. So this is the emotions that you feel for people that are in need. So he was deeply moved with compassion in the condition of others. I recently told this story about my daughter a few weeks ago, but... You know, we've had a, a young boy that's been coming to church with us, and we've been talking to, to her about, like, man, we want to reach out to our neighbors. We want to love those who are next to us. And um, my wife actually had the opportunity to lead this young boy to the Lord. And, and Cassidy's sensitive heart to the things of God was, asked, she asked the question, she says, Mommy, do you think that Jesus can save the whole family? And we said, baby, absolutely. But that's the pity. That's the compassion that we're talking about. He had a heart of compassion. You know, he had a touch of compassion. You know, I think compassion without physical engagement is hard. You know, I feel like the ultimate resolve of compassion is to actually reach out. He could have looked at that person on the road wounded and said, well, I don't want to touch them. I don't want to. But he reached down. He bandaged the wounds. He met the practical need. He went above and beyond. He was probably had blood on his robe. It cost him something, but he engaged. You know, many times, I think to really touch the lives of others, it requires a physical touch. A physical touch. Now, if you know me, man, I'm giving you a handshake. I'm giving you a hug. If you're all kinds of awkward, maybe I'll give you a high five. But I am a physical person. I can't have relationship apart from physical touch. To me, it makes no sense. The two work together. But we look in this story of Jesus of where there was a leper who was, he was, who was forbidden to be touched, but yet Jesus saw him. And you know what the most significant thing is of this leper in his life? The curse was not just the, having leprosy, but the curse was saying, hey, you, when you come around people, you have to yell out loud, unclean, unclean. So if I'm walking this way, unclean. So you know, hey, oh, I got to get out. Morgan just could get up. They go to the back because I'm passing by. I am the untouchable. But yet Jesus, in his touch of compassion, touches the leopard and he's made clean. Regardless of the sin or regardless of the leprosy leaving, a significant touch will change people's lives. He had a touch of compassion. 
He also had a walk of compassion. So this man on the side of the road had to be walked with. You know, he had to be helped along his journey. So to really be effective in loving our neighbors, sometimes we're going to have to walk with them a little bit. Sometimes we're going to have to help them a little bit. So how to treat people, love your neighbors. Number two, serve your brothers and sisters. You know, so we have to realize that in Jesus' kingdom, he completely was counterculture to the kingdom of this world. Do you realize that nobody who has served in a great kingdom was ever served or was never not served like Jesus was? So any king, whether it be Egyptians, the Babylon, or Rome, they all had kingdoms in which they were on the receiving end of the servant. Jesus completely flipped the script on them. He said, I did not come to rule a kingdom from a place of authority and kingship, even though he could have. It actually says that he forsook his kingdom of heaven and he came to earth as a humble servant. Now, most of us, when we say king, we don't think humble servant. That is not in the cards of the criteria of a humble king. But yet this is what Jesus did. So in, in, in serving our brothers and sisters, it requires us to have a selfless demeanor. It says that, that he actually got down and washed the feet of his disciples. He lived to serve and not be served. So we have to realize that the world is self-serving and selfish. But to be a Christian, you have to be counterculture and learn to serve your brothers and your sisters. Among you, as, as, as one be, it says, I am among you. As one who serves. This is what Jesus said. So, you know, in your serving, we're going to cover three things. Sorry, I'm jumping around a whole lot. But in serving, there has to be a shift. There has to be a status. And there has to be a spot. So let me, let me communicate real quick to you what I mean. So shifting, you know, our, our focus in serving. So we have to have a, an understanding that the ultimate cost of serving costs you something. From being single to married. If you are selfish, you better stay single. Because to be married, you have to be selfless to some degree. It is going to cost you something. But there has to be a shift from just selfish to selfless. Not really loving to loving. You better start loving people. Right? You know, from married, because married life, hey, this week, guys, this week with no kids, man, life was good. It was easy. Man, we wanted to do something. It was 15 minutes till time to start. We would still make it. We'd be fussing at kids, where's your shoes? Why are you not dressed? Did you brush your hair? We missed the movie. Forget it. And then we didn't go anywhere, right? So, so this, you know, so from the married life to, to having children in the equation, there's more grace, there's more love. It requires more serving. It requires the, a lot of selfless, like removing selfish nature. Right? When you had kids, you should have evaluated if it was for your benefit. It's not the case. But it's, man, it's so rewarding. And the privilege of being able to serve my wife and the opportunity to serve my kids is an ultimate blessing in my life. Okay? So there has to be that, that adjustment, right? We have to shift in that. So serving has a status. So a position or rank relating to others, that's what the word status means. So we have to realize that we have to be at a place of security of, of self before we can serve well. Okay? So what I mean... By that, it's not, a, it's not about a position, but it's an act of ser- servitude, right? You know, there might be times you catch Pastor Noe serving, and you're like, is that in your job description? Not really, but I'm built to serve. I was built to serve before I was a pastor, and I just kept doing it. You know, some of these guys will bust me up. You don't need to do that anymore, preacher. Go work on your mess. I said, no. I said, my heart's to serve. 
You're always going to have a hard time getting rid of me if I keep serving like God has called me to serve. Because if I see a need, I'm going to do it. Right? I had an individual approach me about an armor bearer concept. He says, you ever heard of that? I said, well, a little bit. I said, he says, you need an armor bearer in your life. And I said, what? I mean, like, I feel like I got my armor bearer right, right here and right here. You know, I take care of myself. And it was, for me, it was this awkward kind of weird place of humility, but yet God had put it in his heart. I said, listen, I said, you can do whatever you want, but I want everybody to know and to be crystal clear. Pastor, no, he never asked for any of that. But if it's in your heart to do it. So, because for me, I, I've often seen it as a slippery slope to where like, Oh, I'm not even going to get up till someone gets my Bible and takes it on the pulpit. I'm not going to go get a bottle of water because somebody needs to go get that bottle of water for me. Like, I never want to get to that place in, in a position that I exalt myself and you don't see Pastor Noe as the greatest servant. Now, you see me dressed up today, but during the week, there'll be a lot of work, a lot of different. I mean, they're not telling what we're going to be doing this next week yet. But my heart is to serve. But let me tell you what. My position is also I understand who I am as, God, as God's son. I'm not fighting for a position of pastor of this church. I'm not trying to earn it. That's where God has positioned me, and I know that's secure in God's hands. So my responsibility is to be where God has placed me. But, you know, well, the responsibility is to stay where God has placed you, but your responsibility in that positioning is to serve also. There's no position so high that removes you from serving. You've got to realize that. So serving has a spot, so you've got to realize that God has given each of us a place to serve. So serve anywhere, serve somewhere that fits best, serve where your sweet spot is, even if that means you have to start it. So what, what does that mean? If you don't see your spot, start it. You know, we start, I've started thinking about that, you know, as our church culture, as people have different gifts and different things, it's like, well, I don't see any of these needs that really meet my design. Well, do what God has built you to do, and we'll just add to the big picture of what we're doing. Well, how'd that person start doing that? That was in their heart to do, and they just started doing it. You mean you didn't come up with it? No, I wasn't even that creative to come up with that. It was in their heart, and they started doing it. Right? This whole armor bearer thing. I didn't know nothing about that. He's like, no, no, look right here. It's biblical. Well, now I believe it's biblical, but I just didn't think about that. But if that's in your heart to do it, hey, you be an armor bearer. Hey, you right here, you're going to serve in that? Okay, serve in that. So if you don't see your spot, start the spot. Right? One, of the, one of the biggest things a pastor will always do to you when you come to me and say, i got this idea and God has put this in my heart. I think we should do this. And I say, it's a great idea. You should start that. I'm very careful to pick up what I do or what I, we commit to or even as a church what we add to what we're already doing. But if God has put something in your heart, do it. All right? So we have to love your neighbor. You have to love your brothers and sisters. This is the hardest one, but it's, it's something that will completely allow you to treat others uh, like, like Jesus wants, forgive your enemies. Okay, we have to realize that unforgiveness is like poison in your soul. So like, like, a, like a spreading infection, this is what unforgiveness really looks like in our lives. We have to forgive. So you got to realize that you will be hurt and you will, you will be offended by people. But the question is, will you forgive them when you're hurt and when you're offended? And I know the first thing that people ask after that question, well, do they deserve it? Jesus never said anything about deserving it. He said you have to do it. You have to forgive, even when it hurts, even when you feel like they're not deserving of it. And the moment you say, well, you don't understand what they did. Okay, let's go back to the nuts and bolts. Do you, do you, are you deserving of salvation? Well, I was talking about them. No, well, we're talking about you because you're the one that wants to play judge and jury here, right? You are not deserving of forgiveness 
So how do you think that it, you're deserving of holding unforgiveness over them when Jesus forgave you of everything? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I will support your idea to do that. But if you are a follower of Christ, it is impossible for you to withhold forgiveness when Jesus gave ultimate forgiveness. It's tough stuff. But you know what? This right here, it says, forgive your enemies. Oh, man. I thought I just need to forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your enemies. These are the ones you don't like. These are the ones that have wronged your family. These are the ones that, you know, have, you know, done cruel things maybe to you, right? But we have to realize that unforgiveness can be compared to drinking deadly poison and expecting the other person to die. It will destroy you. It will kill you if you don't forgive. Well, I'm just going to hold it against them. Most of the time, those people don't care anyway. And you are dealing with that for a lifetime because you hold unforgiveness in your heart. There's a book by John, the, John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. This is what this book talks about, unforgiveness. If you're not a reader, but you feel like you're working through that, that is a great book to read. All right? Jesus taught about forgiveness, Matthew 5, 44 you know, he said, pray for your enemies. It says, but I say, love your enemies. Good luck, Lord. I don't know if I can do that, right? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for, you know, and why did Jesus say pray for them? Love your enemies. To me, that is completely counterculture, right? It'd be okay to love my brothers and sisters, but to love my enemy? Pray for those who persecute me? Man, forget them, Lord. I don't want to do that. But you know what happens? When we begin to pray for our enemy, it'll change the condition of our heart and allow you to forgive them in a full, wholehearted way. You might say, Pastor, no, I don't like them. That doesn't have anything to do with it. He said pray, and he said love. It's tough. We can't do that apart from the grace of God working in our lives. And the moment we stay there, well, they don't. All right. Stay in the flesh as long as you want, but at some point you're going to have to come over here to what the Spirit is saying, which will always bid you to come and forgive, restore, heal. You, you know, the, the, the biggest reason, you know, as a church, we're really big on healing and forgiveness and maybe how you leave a church, how you come to our church, all of these things. You know, we realize that the baggage that you bring in this church, we're still going to have to deal with it when you get to this church. You say, well, no, I left that baggage. No, not if you withheld forgiveness, not if you didn't leave right, not if you were mad. You know, I'll, I'll often ask people, hey, how did you, you know, what made you decide to try our church out? Now, sometimes, which we love the right answer to that, is we felt the Lord leading us somewhere else, and we were praying about it, and, and not like, well, that pastor over there, or these people over there, they made me mad, so I left. And I just smiled, but deep down, I'm like, oh, man, we've got to put some work in there. Because we know that baggage, be it leaving a church, maybe being offended, you know, being in conflict with people, will cause you to not be healthy and whole. And it will cause you to, affect, to, to uh, treat people in a way that doesn't demonstrate the love that Jesus demands. Jesus tells Peter to forgive 490 times. You know, the scripture says, you know, 70 times 7. So when we do the math, that's how we get to that 490. But in that passage, Jesus wasn't talking about the number. What he said is you offer unmerited, unamount of forgiveness. That's what he said. He said, always forgive. So we have to realize that Jesus taught about forgiveness. Jesus also demonstrated forgiveness, right? You know, at his last breath, do you realize that Jesus said, Father, forgive them? You know, he could have said, Father God, stop their hearts and make them fall dead right now. Amen. 
said, I told you I was Jesus, <laughs> right? You know, but he didn't do that. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand what they're doing. When they had spat on him, crown of thorns, they had beat him to a pulp. And then innocently put him on a cross. And yet he said, forgive. So he didn't just talk about it, he demonstrated it. Jesus could have got revenge, but he released redemption and forgiveness. He released mercy, not vengeance. You know, when, when, uh, when he re- resurrected, you know, he went and found Peter. Peter rejected Christ three times. So Jesus was really concerned about restoring this relationship. He went on a mission to find Peter and restore that broken relationship. Jesus was determined to restore that relationship. You know, this is a thought. Uh, Jonathan Stocksdale brought it up in, in, in this series, and he was talking about it, but uh, the idea, uh, if Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, would not have killed himself, would Jesus have forgiven him? The answer is yes. You know, if he would not have hung himself and killed himself, would, would he have forgiven Judas, the one that betrayed him? With a kiss. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? It says he betrayed him with a kiss. So before he left, he kissed him on the cheek and walked out and created tre- and. and, and Created treason against Jesus. But I believe that if he would have lived, I agree with Jonathan Stockdale. Yeah, God would have, Jesus would have forgave him. Because it's never been about deserving it. You got to get that. It's not about what people deserve, it's about what you give. So think about people who have truly wronged you. I know you don't really want, maybe want to think about this this morning, but you know, can you release them? Can you let them go from what they've done to you? So there's a story of Corrie Ten Boom. You know, she was a Jewish woman who was taken into a concentration camp um, from Ravensbrück Prison. She was beaten. She was abused. She was treated horribly. Her and her family were in there, and she was the only one of her family members that survived. So she was released from, from that concentration camp actually by a clerical error. They messed up the paperwork, and she got released. So this was straight up a God miracle that she got released from it. So later on, she actually started a ministry where she was teaching about love and forgiveness. And she had the opportunity, and she was in a, a, a basement in Germany. And as she was sharing her heart with the individuals, and, and you know, so she was sharing her heart about love and forgiveness and all of these things. And as she, as she began to look around the rooms, her eyes caught a glimpse of one of the prisoner guards that were in prison with her. The one that, that treated her the most gruesome was in the room, but yet she was talking about love and forgiveness. I don't know about a quick heart check. Either you've forgiven at that moment or you haven't. And she remembered this guard who was more wicked than all of the other ones that had treated her and her family horribly. This was the guard that treated her the worst. So after the meeting, her heart was to get out of the room. She didn't want to be there. She saw that person, and I'm sure all of those emotions, all of these things came back. But after that meeting, the guard stopped her and approached her and asked her if Jesus was really able to to forgive and if forgiveness could be transferred through her. Now, this is a pivotal moment in this story of where she can give him what he deserves and lie as an advocate of Jesus and say, no, you worthless, fill in the blank, whatever you want. You don't deserve any of that. And withhold that forgiveness. But here's what she did. 
says the gentleman reached out his hand and immediately her heart was filled with pain and deep hurt in her heart. And as she touched his hand, the healing power and love of God was released and the walls of hurt were released from her life. The gentleman was looking for forgiveness, but yet it was her that was released in that moment of releasing that forgiveness and that grace and the power of God moved in that moment. So we have the ability to forgive our enemies by the grace of God. I never said it would be easier or it would be convenient. But yet we have the ability. Why? Because Jesus forgave his enemies. We have the ability to serve our brothers and sisters. Why? Because Jesus served. We have the ability to love our neighbors because God loved us and sent Jesus. This is the real Jesus. The one who will always forgive. The one who loves his neighbor. Oh. All right, devil, I got another mic. All right. Trying to mess it up right at the home stretch here. This is the real Jesus. How do you treat others? How do you treat people? You may say, this morning, Pastor Noah, not very good. But it's important to Jesus how we treat people. That we treat others as he treated us. We have to realize that forgiveness lies at the crux of Christianity. You can't withhold forgiveness. Like that, that's just, that, I, I guess if you wanted, you know, repeat after me, father, son, you know, died, buried, and hey, you are no longer allowed to withhold unforgiveness from anyone. Well, hold on, never mind. I've changed my mind. You walk, no, that's, that's part of it. We can't do that. God has forgiven us countless sin. You know, so we, we, have to, we can't hold other people to a standard that they can't even amount to. That's not fair. So what does Jesus expect? He expects us to forgive others. Jesus wants us to love, to serve, and to forgive others. As he did. So this was the real Jesus. We have to do what Jesus did. So today, if, if you've never asked and received the forgiveness that Jesus gives to you, that's where you start. If you're a follower of Christ and you say, I know the real Jesus, then start acting like the real Jesus. Start loving people and treating people like the real Jesus would. Because we should look, think, and act like him more often than not. Well, I can't do it, Pastor Noe. Well, last week, Jesus had a secret. The Holy Spirit that lives inside each of us that gives us the ability to do all that he's done and more. So as Christians, we're without excuse because we've received forgiveness. We, the model has been established of how to treat others. So now it's just up to us. God can give you right now the ability to release healing and forgiveness in your life today. You guys stand up with me. We're closing. Now, I know I may have really maybe pinpointed some areas in your life that you don't want to go to.
You don't want to think about. You don't want to revisit. You say, I'm just going to bury it and leave it. But if it continually affects your life in a way where it's causing you to have trust issues, it's causing you to, to be bent towards unforgiveness rather than forgiveness, you got to deal with those things because they're affecting you in your life right now. Now, there are some things that time will heal, but there are certain things that God has to completely remove for you to be all that God has called you to be. And that's where he specializes, not in the physical, but in the supernatural. He works in our lives. So we have to realize that forgiveness has to be realized. So how do you work through, through forgiveness, Pastor Noe? So the, the pain and the wrongdoing, it has to be realized. So what does that mean? You have to confront it. You can't say, oh, no, I'm good, Pastor Noe. I got it. I'm, I'm just going to suck it up. It's all right. Just part of being, it's part of being a man. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If you're broken, if you're hurt, you find healing at the cross. You have to confront it. You can't avoid it. And then secondly, what do you have to do? You have to release it. So forgiveness has to be realized and it has to be, then it has to be released. We have to let it go. We can no longer allow it to hold us. So this morning, I'm going to give you kind of the same offer that Corey Ten Boom gave the gentleman. And she said that he forgives, he loves, he heals. And that same question, is he able to release that forgiveness in me? This morning, if you will just reach out your hand. Everybody close your eyes for me. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Noe, I need forgiveness in my life. There's some things I can't let go of. There's things that keep, to, keep affecting me, and I don't know what to do. I just want you to lift your hands towards heaven. You know specifically what those things are. And the moment you reach out your hand, the power of the living God will begin to rush in and restore and heal those things. So, Father, you see each one in this room that needs that healing and forgiveness. God, I ask that they will no longer be defined by who they were, but, Father, I call them forth to who they are. Father, I pray all of these things under the blood of Christ. Father, that that forgiveness and that restoration and that healing would be theirs today. Father, that you would take their heart of stone that's been calloused by the world. And, Father, that you would once again restore that heart of flesh that causes us to love and treat people like you treat them. Lord, that you would keep doing this work in our life so that we might be the image bearers of Christ. That when people say, who is the real Jesus? That they would see the visual image of Jesus through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. If you need special prayer, you say, hey, I raised my hand, Pastor Noah, but I need a little bit more prayer. We want to always make ourselves available to you. We have prayer teams and individuals who will pray for you. Maybe there's something nonspecific to what we talked about that you said, hey, I'd really like prayer for this. Just make your way up front. We'll take time to pray for you, to minister to you. Whatever we can do for you, don't get in a hurry. We don't want you to miss what you need this morning. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at the topic, and the title is Don't Judge Me.
So I want to encourage you next week, be here. And we'll see, really, did Jesus, does Jesus have the right to judge us? Because I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, nobody judges me. You can't judge me. Did Jesus really have the right to? And one day, will Father God judge us? Dot, dot, dot. Build the anticipation. We'll see you guys next week. Let me bless you and we'll get out of here. Father God, I thank you for each one under the sound of my voice. Father, for what you're doing in our lives, seen and unseen. God, I pray that you would just keep showing us who you are. Father, I pray that you would just break any lies over our life that maybe are deceiving us. Lord, for those choosing to walk in that forgiveness and healing today, that they would just keep walking that out. And Father, that we wouldn't just be people that say we're okay, but we will be people that are truly healthy and okay. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I bless my brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray that we would take this love that we found in Jesus and share it with the world, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.